Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness Podcast. I'm the temporary host, Chris Schutte. Uh, the other two editors, Greg and Russ, are unavailable tonight, so I'm going to be joined by one of our staff writers, Ben Gorin, also known as BenG412 on Twitter. Ben, how are you? Doing really well, Chris. How about you? Oh, it's it's going. Just another Thursday night, living the dream, creating creating the good content for the people uh, that put up with our nonsense. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you a great deal for actually choosing to spend any time of your day listening to this. So by the time this hits your podcast feed, you'll probably on your way to work, uh, maybe a nice morning commute. Um, hopefully this does not ruin your day. I'm not going to make any promises because if it does, I don't want to be held liable for the terrible Friday that you're about to have. All right. So let's, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, Ben, I wanted to talk about something that doesn't directly affect, um, mid-major programs right now, but is going to be something that kind of shifts the scape of, uh, the landscape of college basketball in the coming years. And that's the addition of 20-game uh, schedules that a lot of the Power 5 programs are going to be uh, undertaking in their conference play. I know the big one that came out today was the Big Ten, saying that starting next year they're going to have 20 conference games. Um, so obviously that means two more conference games uh, that teams will have that will not result in mid-majors getting a chance to play some of those Power 5 teams. So, Ben, what are your initial thoughts to the 20-game schedule, both as a fan of a Power 5 team and also from the mid-major perspective? Yeah, so I think it's, it's all a matter of how optimistic you are when it comes down to it. So I think we can agree that the most interesting part of the basketball schedule are those conference games, whether you're on the mid-major level or at the high-major level. I mean, everyone wants to see Indiana-Purdue or Duke-North Carolina or walk that back down when Valpo and um, Illinois State were in the same conference, stuff like that. Like That's what really turns the dial for the interest. And then there are those really cool games um, where there are there is that marquee matchup a home and home and non-conference. Those are going away pretty quickly. But of course, whenever those happen, that's really exciting. So the question is, what are the two games that essentially you're going to lose when you add two more games in conference? And I think what you're going to hear from the conferences is, oh, you know, those junk games where we pay to bring a team in and beat them by 8,000 points. You're not going to see those games very much anymore. And instead, there's just going to be more good games. Uh, I don't think that's especially likely. I think what's more likely to happen is those really interesting games when a Big Ten team plays a high-level MAC school or a Missouri Valley Conference school. I think those games are going to become less and less important and less and less likely And that's a bummer. I mean, I would love to see Illinois State go and play legit high major teams. I think that'd be really interesting. I mean, the same thing goes for a school like St. Mary's. Gonzaga has its own deal there, Gonzaga, at this point. But those games are going to dry up. I don't think there's any question about it. 
Uh, the next step from that is those teams that had those buy games. Uh, that was an important part of not just their basketball season, but the funding for their athletic department. I mean, look at Texas Southern, who didn't play a home game until what mid January because they were just going to because they were just going around and getting beat up. Like that's that's how they made money. Um, are those buy games going to disappear? And I think I think they're actually going to be fine. Um, it's kind of like a, in a weird place on the supply demand curve, if you think about it, because demand is basically going to stay the same. Everyone needs those buy games on both sides. Uh, the demand is stable, but now you have two less opportunities to fit them in. So I wouldn't lose your mind about teams being hurt by no more buy games. I think where you are absolutely right to be concerned are those fun home and home series that are going to become less and less of a thing. Yeah, I think you you make a really good point about kind of the the middle class of college basketball is going to be the one that, that gets hit the hardest. Uh, taking the Big Ten, for example, is there really that much of a difference between, say, playing a, a Valparaiso and getting an additional game against Rutger? Like, is that really there, – there's – you're just swapping out one for the other. There's no real – Probably, I mean, when you're adding Rutgers, you're probably having a little bit of a drop-off in quality, but that's that's a story for another day. Um, you do bring up an interesting point about about the buy game, specifically a team like Texas Southern, a team that relies so much upon um, those buy games and getting that those big contracts to come into a, a Duke or a North Carolina and lose by 30. I mean, coaches don't want to go in and have their team get um, – set up that way and have to go through that, but they, they have to, that's just, that's part of the game. I think it'll be interesting um, to see moving forward, how carefully power five programs schedule against mid-major programs, because there's going to be a lot of programs like the Illinois States, like the Valpos, like those high level mountain West teams, they're going to be clamoring to get, just get a crack at these power five programs and the power five programs are going to say, no, we, we can't, we're not going to risk losing to one of you guys. We'll, yeah, we'll pay someone off. We'll, we'll, we'll take our win and we'll, we'll move on. And there's absolutely no reason to, um, for a power conference team. I mean, there's the risk of losing the game, but you know, you bring up Rutgers, which is obviously for the big 10, or at least it was, it'll change in the next couple of years. Like that's a game that hurts your RPI. But, you know, think about it this way, like if you're pulling out Valparaiso or St. Mary's or something like that, St. Mary's probably a little too good. But if you pull them out and replace them with, I don't know, like TCU, so one of those teams that you know, actually has a pretty decent RPI, even if they're not a great team because they play in a major conference, like you've, some, you've improved your strength of schedule somewhat significantly. So, I mean, in every kind of measurable metric, that matters for the selection show, there's no reason to play Valparaiso. There's no reason to do it anymore, which sucks because that's as fans, those are, those games are so much fun. And I think everyone has a memory of their team losing a game to a school like that. Uh, I believe Indiana lost to Fort Wayne. I might've heard something about that happening. Um, but every team has that story. Um, whether it's Indiana state or IPFW or, feel like Northwestern lost a game to Northwestern State one year. You know, everyone has those those games that meant so much. And 
it's very, very clear that those are the games that are going to be on the chopping block. Uh, first of all, I'm upset that you brought the, up the Fort Wayne, Indiana game. I was there. Um, not a good night. <laughs> not a good night. But that's that's neither here nor there. It was a great night. A great night. For me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing that I do think is going to be interesting is how how the bubble is affected come Selection Sunday. Because like you said, a team is the, – the Power 5 teams are going to be able to most likely boost their RPI. And I know that was a major uh, – major driving factor towards the uh, big 10 making that change. You know, if this, if the 20 game schedule helps them get another team into the tournament, Hey, that's more money in their pocket. And the teams that are going to, going to get hit the hardest with that is going to be those mid major teams that are on the bubble, like such as like an Illinois state this year. Um, so I think that's going to be probably the thing that the biggest outcome from that is just, we're probably going to see less and less uh, those kind of high quality mid majors that might not have won their conference or come from a single bid. We're not going to see those teams in March. Whereas with the current state of things, they might have an outside shot. Yeah, I I think so. Especially if it becomes mandated across the board where, you know, the WAC is playing 20 conference games Um, like that, that will absolutely become more of a problem. Uh, the optimistic side of it is that apparently those advanced metrics like Ken Palm and Massey or whatever, which are supposedly becoming more of a, a, a thing in the selection room, um, if those if that goes up while the number of good conference uh, non-conference games goes down for those mid-major schools, it could potentially even out. Like I'm not ready to say it's the end of the world um, for March. But I am just about willing to say it's the end of the world for good mid-major, high-major, home-and-home series. Yeah, it'll, it'll be something to, to keep an eye on uh, moving forward, uh, especially as those new metrics are coming in. Um, speaking of kind of those teams from one-bid leagues, I wanted to talk to you, get a little bit of a primer uh, on the upcoming season. You have a recurrent – is it a recurring series uh, that you do? Um, so I believe you're referencing the never made the tournament club. Is that correct, Chris? Yeah. I wasn't sure if you'd call it a recurring <laughs> series, if it was a one-time thing or. Yeah. So it's actually, it's got an interesting history behind it. So Roger Sherman, uh, now of Bill Simmons is the ringer, uh, and previously of SB Nation. And before that of Sipping on Purple, uh, the original SB Nation in, uh, Northwestern blog, uh, every March, he began tracking what teams have never made the tournament and how are they doing in their conference tournaments, uh, because Northwestern is obviously one of those teams. So I think I picked it up a couple of years ago now, me and uh, Tristan Jung, who's the editor-in-chief of Inside NU, uh, which you should check out if for some reason you care about Northwestern sports at all, which you shouldn't. Um, but we've picked it up the last couple of years, and it's become basically a two-week nightly thing where we, for watching SOCON, SWAC, WAC, whatever was on Summit League, uh, tracking those teams who've never made the tournament. And this year, we can say that it will be, I, I hope to, I hope that it's a weekly thing, but it'll absolutely be a thing that we update throughout the season as we track these uh, hard luck franchises, if you will, that have never once made the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it was, it was definitely something I enjoyed following, um, especially... Uh, those nights where you're up at, like, you're up at 
2 a.m. watching UC Davis versus UC Irvine. They each have 17 points at the half. Um, what Are there any teams uh, right off the bat that jump out to you that might have a chance of getting out of the club and getting into the esteemed VIP room that is the NCAA tournament? Oh, man. It all starts with Grand Canyon um, because, number one, they're – actually just they're a good whack i mean they're a good team um period and also they they come out of a conference where i mean there really isn't a big monster in front of them who you feel like they can't beat so i think that's where you start um but i i don't feel extremely good about the never made the tournament club this year the summit league had a couple of teams this last year who came really close um except then mike dom happened um who needs to go away forever um, he's bad, actually. Even though he's like the best player in the country, he's ruined my dreams. So he's actually bad. He's, he's actually um, not bad. And you can read more about that uh, Friday <laughs> on midmajormadness.com. We'll have a nice Summit League preview coming for you. Wow, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, Chris. Yeah, you can um, read about how Mike Donald. Yeah, I honestly struggled. <laughs> yeah, he's averaging, what, 25 points a game, like eight rebounds. He's really good at basketball, but I hate him personally. Um <laughs> But, I mean, outside of that, you know, it's really tough. I mean, there are those leagues like you know, the SoCon has a bunch of teams. Summit League has a bunch of those teams um, that just they have so many teams and you never know what's going to happen in those tournaments that one of them might make a run, not unlike what Holy Cross did a couple years ago. Um, and now I got my Bill Carmody reference in, too. So I'm really just knocking down every single trope that I have. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be a down year. Five teams making it out in one year, like what happened last year, is beyond unprecedented. So I feel like we're due for some lean times. All right. Well, let's let's stick on the Grand Canyon talk because that's there's somebody that we've written a lot about, um, a lot about this off season, and there's a lot of excitement. Um, it's their first year eligible for the NCAA tournament after making the transition to D1. Uh, by all means, they have everything you'd look for in a mid-major program that is just made for the internet area and the Twitter era. And they're, they're intriguing for a lot of reasons. Uh, one being that they're a for-profit university, wherever your opinion is on that is that's a story for another day. But like you said, Grand Canyon is legitimately going to be good this year. And I think a lot of the intrigue, lies in is there that they have a rowdy rowdy home court advantage uh they they play an up-tempo style they're going to score a lot of points and they're just they're just a lot of fun and they're going to be a team that i think a lot of people kind of gravitate towards as they kind of rise from uh kind of being an unknown entity and so you can just say it they're really they're easily the coolest team I'm upset that I don't go to Grand Canyon. Like I was, I was trying to get them on Twitter to to fly me out. I'm not sure there's a team like in the country that's as cool as Grand Canyon. Like make it high major too. I mean, no crowd gets as beyond nuts as they get. Um, No team is like as fun. No team has all these storylines coming. I mean, their coach was a great player in the NBA. I mean, everything about this team is just like. I'm so in. Like, let's go, Grand Canyon. I'm all the way on the bandwagon. 
Yeah, I, I think if you're a, a college basketball fan looking for a kind of an interesting, maybe off the beaten path program, now is the time to get in on Grand Canyon because probably come this time next year or even March, um, it's everybody's just going to get on you like, oh, you're just now jumping on the bandwagon. Like, buy your stock now. Like Grand Canyon, they're they're going to be one to watch. So I think it like. College basketball doesn't have a league pass, but if there were such things a league pass team, Grand Canyon is a definitional example. Like an 8 p.m. start, kind of sort of West Coast, it's in the mountain time zone, I'm pretty sure, I think. Maybe it's the Pacific. Either way, they're going to be playing late at night. They're going to be good. They're going to be stomping these whack teams, and then they're going to make the NCAA tournament. Like, that's just, it's so perfect. And Casey Benson, who we were talking about before we actually started recording, coming over from Oregon, who is a legitimate player for them, is now coming down to Grand Canyon. He's going to probably be running the show for them. Got a couple of other great players, too. I mean, they're going to be super, super worth watching. Yeah, yeah. You're 100% right. They they would be the equivalent of a league pass team. Um, I'm definitely going to try to at least stay up a couple times to catch them and see their see their antics. Um, do you have any other thoughts on the uh, Never Made the Tourney Club or Grand Canyon before we move on to our next topic? Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the remaining four founding members of the Never Made the Tournament Club. So basically the teams who have been playing basketball more or less since the first NCAA tournament who haven't made it, of which Northwestern was one of the founding five, they're now gone. So the four teams who you really, really need to root for are Army, who you should always root for because you always got to respect the troops. the troops, Chris. The Citadel, same thing, got to respect the troops, root for the Citadel. And then William and Mary, who are like permanently the four seed or the five seed in their conference always, like every single year, which is super frustrating. And then also St. Francis of New York, who are really, really bad at basketball and will probably always be bad at basketball and are almost certainly the team doomed to never, ever make the tournament. All right, so there you go. Those are the, the teams you need to cheer for. Um, oh, I missed one thing. Oh, go ahead. Savannah State. This is their last year in D1, and they are academically ineligible to make the postseason, which is like the saddest story of all time. Like, they don't even get a chance for glory this season. It's their last year, and they're playing for nothing, which is so it's, – it's a Shakespearean tragedy. It's awful. I hate it. It's like getting your driver's license and on your first, your first spin out of the neighborhood, and you get busted by a cop for going five over. Yeah, it's brutal. All right, so – uh, now that we've covered that, let's let's get into some uh, some fun topics. One thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, I don't know if it was early this week or late last week. ESPN made an announcement; uh, they're making some additions to their college basketball broadcasting lineup. Uh, one of the names was John Thompson the third, and another name was my dear and beloved Tom Crean. Uh, ben, what are your thoughts on? Uh, hearing that Tom Crean is going to be on your television uh, analyzing college basketball with ESPN. So a couple of thoughts. First of all, Tom Crean is good enough to be a head coach this year, and I'm very surprised that no one called him up. Um, or I, I wouldn't shock me if he was called up and he just turned him down for a year. That's my first thought. Number two, from in terms of the meme market, it's very important to have Tom Crean on my television. 
um, because I've never taken a picture of Tom Crean's face that isn't hilarious. Like just his resting face is so berserk. That's very key. So for online content, we've got that going, which is very big. And then the last part is, is he's just really good at TV. Like unironically, he's a great guy to listen to. He was on the Verticals draft show, I think for a couple of years now. And it was awesome. And his analysis is great. He's really comfortable in front of a microphone, which I think if you've watched the Big Ten, you're not, it doesn't surprise you. I mean, whenever he's interviewed, he's really engaging and interesting to listen to. I think he's going to step in and immediately become maybe the best analyst who ESPN uh, has. I, I don't think that's a stretch. That really awesome. If, he, if he's filling the Seth Greenberg role as token coach on your studio show, he's, he's going to absolutely knock it out of the park. You will not believe how big of a step up it is from having uh, Seth Greenberg to Tom Crean. And like you said, Tom Crean is... I mean, who's the only guy who could touch him? I mean, Jay Billis, if you're into Jay Billis? Like, I mean, he's he's really, really super. Like, watching Crean is going to be really fun. I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to be much more knowledgeable about basketball at the end of this year than I was at the start. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see it, um, what his role is going to be, if he's just going to be that studio guy or if they're going to uh, get him on some... Uh, do some color commentary is I, I know ESPN, if they're going to do that, he's going to be calling an Indiana game. And I just, I'm not sure if I can handle that. I, there's, there's few things I love more in life than Tom Crean and Tom Crean content. And that I just, I just don't know if I'm emotionally prepared for that. Um, yeah, it's like seeing your ex-girlfriend at the club, like right after the breakup, like that's going to be really yeah, tough. Or, I, I, for your sake, I hope that doesn't happen. For my sake, I hope he's both in the studio and announcing every single game. That's what I want to happen. Yeah, and I, I think you made a good point earlier. Tom Crean is he's too good of a coach to be to be doing this. And what, whatever opinions you might have about Tom Crean, um, it'll be a really cool like, one year. Experience. He's probably only going to be doing this for a year. He's gonna have a he's gonna get a coaching job uh, this spring. So enjoy it while future Auburn has. What? Future Auburn head coach. Yeah, Tom Auburn, Green. Ole Miss, I think that's Clemson. Great. Like, if your school has it. Yeah, SEC, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to wanted to talk to you about, we talked about Tom Crean, who's one of my favorite people. I want to talk to you about one of your favorite people. Um, as many of you listeners know, uh, John Rothstein is a friend of the site, but also is one of the more inter. And my dad. <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, he's one of the more interesting <laughs> fellows in uh, in the college basketball media landscape. He's very well connected. He knows his stuff, but there's just some things he does that are just so that make you just stop and think for a minute. Like, like why are you the way that you are? And uh, you're the perfect person to ask because you have the the honor of writing the John Rothstein Almanac and have <laughs> produced numerous pieces of John Rothstein content over the summer. Um, just give me your general thoughts on um, just the, the entity that is John Rothstein, the college basketball reporter. Where do you begin? I mean, that's like saying, like, give an 100-word summary of the Bible. I mean, that's tough. <laughs> but, like, where it begins with John more than anything else, and I always make it clear whenever I start writing about him that I feel this way, 
is that he is just so into basketball. Like, I have never loved anything as much as John Rothstein loves college basketball. It's incredible. I mean, I, I think he genuinely watches every single minute of basketball that you can consume in a day. I mean, if there's a game on anywhere, he's probably got at least a half eye on it, which is incredible. Um, and then when you, you walk it down from there, where some of the weird stuff starts happening... <laughs> John after is that if you just get overexposed to basketball, like you just, your brain starts melting. Uh, maybe that's part of it. Um, and then there's also this, you know, somewhat indebtedness he has to athletic departments, um, which might be unfair, but it certainly feels that way when you know, he's so torqued up about transfers, which like, unless you are a ludicrous fan of a mid-major team who just, cannot stand to see your players leave or like you just love the NCAA and you want to kiss it on the mouth. There's really no excuse to be as torqued up about it as he is. Um, so that's a little bit frustrating. And I guess the positive way to end it is that he really knows good food. Um, he eats way too much, which is something you brought. Yeah, we talked about it. You should probably week. talk about it. When you start looking the orders they're ridiculous i mean it's he's putting back like eight thousand calories it's insane yeah and every every time i see him uh like when he's doing studio stuff for cbs or whoever it looks like he's in good shape like does is john he's he's notoriously famous for his morning routine of stay hungry stay humble whatever anonymous quote x amount of days to college basketball does john's got to be like a morning workout guy that that's the only explanation that he delivers those things yeah. every single day. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, that's undoubtedly what it is. Uh, the, the one thing I think to also to stress about John Rothstein is that, you know, the things that, that make it mainstream, you know, stay hungry, stay humble, Greg Gard, silent assassin, uh, West Virginia, tougher than a day at your in-laws or whatever. Um, those are not the best Rothsteinisms. It's the one it's, that you have to dig to find. Cuts. Yeah, the deep cuts are so much better. Like, he's tweeted, um, the dogs bark, but the caravan marches on, like, 77 times. He's tweeted a Bill Parcells quote almost 100 times, and as soon as it hits 100, I'm going to, like, throw a party. Um, yeah, last I checked, it was, like, 94 times or something like that. Uh, the door's open for Elijah <laughs> is my personal favorite Rothstein, which I haven't, he hasn't used in, like, years now. Um, but you just, you got to dig a little deep to find the really good stuff. Like, everything else. Yeah, uh- it, we we mean this in in all good fun. Uh, John is is one of the best around. He just does a lot of things that are just just so fascinating. And he's one of he's one of the most prominent prominent figures in uh, college basketball. And to have some of the quirks that he does, it just makes it makes it even sweeter when you you see him pop across the timeline with with a new Rostinism. John, the next time you're in Chicago, please call me. Let's have lunch. Let's get a meat and cheese plate because I really want to pick your brain. Yeah, I think I think we were talking about um, maybe trying to meet up with him in New York or something because it, it, it has to be an experience. God, could you imagine? It'd be out of control. It'd be completely out of control. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, I know this is <laughs> great. It's hard to transfer out of John yeah, we, we went from It's kind of hard to make a 
we we were slowly declining into into nothingness. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on the FBI investigation and how that might affect mid majors moving forward? That's something that's. Uh, we've we've hit on a couple times on the podcast, but obviously every week a new development comes out. I just kind of wanted to to get your thoughts because you usually, for the most part, have well thought out opinions that um, make some interesting points. <laughs> um, so, what what do you think about kind of yeah. where it's heading? So, I mean, first of all, it's it's way too damn early yeah. um, to have any clue of where it's going to go. I think if you ask people, you know, when the North Carolina news first broke, they were, there was a non-significant number, not insignificant number of people who were saying like, oh, they're going to get the death penalty. You know, every idiot says now about everything. But, you know, people thought that the hammer was going to come down on North Carolina in a way that it hadn't come down in a really long time. And what happened? Literally nothing. They're totally okay. So it's, it's so early in the, the path of this story to make any kind of real judgments. Um, what I will say is that you know, I'm not as well versed in you know that like shady underworld of mid majors, but like ask anyone who knows anything, and they're not surprised that this happened. No. Um, I think the level where it gets surprising is that some schools were evidently so bad at it that the FBI started to care. Um, which is bad <laughs> that if you're dishing out the bag, do it a little bit better than that. If the FBI starts caring about ACC basketball, you've got some real problems, but you know, how will it affect mid majors versus high majors? I don't know. I think the most, if, if, and it's a huge, if this story ends up causing real change and actually shifting the world of college basketball, it's going to be because it's the thing that kills the NCAA. I mean, it's going to be the thing that makes people realize, oh, we just we got to pay these people. Um, these athletes clearly have value at this point, and it's going to continue to be shady and bad unless we can regulate it and make it legal. Um, that's the most likely fallout, I think, if there's significant fallout. Yeah. Um, and how that affects managers, it totally depends on who you talk to. Um, Kevin Trahan, who uh, used to write for Vice and like all other bloggers, is going to law school now. Um, he's written a lot about how if people were paid, if athletes were paid, it actually would help those mid-major schools because a three-star recruit has way more value to those kind of schools than it does for a high-major school. Like in Duke, getting a, a three-star kid or a low four-star kid that kid doesn't have a lot of value, but if, if Western Michigan wanted to really go after one of those guys, if they tabbed a high three-star kid as someone who could change their program, um, that person would probably get significantly more attention, and maybe that strengthens that mid-level in college basketball. I have no idea, um, but if weird things are going to happen, if significant things are going to happen, um, it's going to change collegiate sports in such a serious way that I think it could be completely unrecognizable to how we view it today. Yeah. And like you said, right. The, the start it's it's just too early. Um, I think it was last week. I might have the timing wrong on this, but 
Um, the NCA formed a committee headed by Mark Emmert, and I think uh, Condoleezza Rice is on it. And sure, she knows about college basketball. Yeah, like that. That committee is is so it's, emblematic. It's, I think of the. It's a PR thing. I mean, if you're gonna have a committee to talk about those issues, it should be with like the head of Nike and the head of the AAU and high school coaches. I mean, those those are the people who should actually be in that room as opposed to, you know, talking head and school administrator number 73. Like that's, it's not surprising to me that the NCAA is going to continue to bungle this until the FBI hands something down. Yeah. yeah I think you're hundred percent right. The, the people on the, that committee, they have, they probably have a, some sort of idea of what's going on because somebody, tells them about it but i think the youngest person on that committee is grant hill and he's he played basketball in what the early 90s and obviously the the landscape is has changed so much since then so i agree with you i don't think that anything's really going to come out of that unless the uh the fbi passes it down yeah which you know shouldn't surprise you i mean we've followed how many of actual ncaa scandals which everyone thought was serious, actually resulted in anything. North Carolina didn't really result in anything. Um, the first Louisville scandal didn't really result in anything outside of what Louisville themselves handed down. Miami ended up being worse for the NCAA than it was for Miami. It's just, it's consistent at this point. Like, you know how it's going to play out. We, we've seen this movie once or twice before. Yeah, this is, is something that we're going to obviously keep an eye on. But, I mean... We might might not actually get anything until two, three years down the road. Get comfortable if you're waiting for updates. Get would a, be my advice. Like put on some pajamas, lie down. It's going to be a long time. Big bowl of popcorn because you're going to need it. Um, <laughs> I think we've touched on all the big topics that I had in mind. Um, I know you wanted to plug something that you wrote over at your site forget the protocol the um earlier this week so i'm gonna kind of let you have the four and kind of go at it yeah so um i wrote about everyone's favorite group of damp boys uh barstool sports um which is something like if you followed me on twitter you've known that like that group of people has been incredibly bothersome to me um for a really long time um, and you know, the column's like 1500 words, it's pinned to my profile, like go, I mean, you'll see it quickly. Uh, and then you'll hopefully read it. But the most important thing to me about writing it, uh, wasn't about the people who, who read Barstool and care about Barstool. Um, and really even the people who are in Barstool, um, a significant portion about it is how the part of my take guys um, Dan Katz and PFT commenter, because apparently he's too cool to actually give out his name, um, about how those guys are not any different than Portnoy or, you know, insert obnoxious guy here. Um, like they're, they're all the same. If you're accepting a paycheck from them, that, that tells you what you need to know about someone's value set. Um, but the most important thing about it to me was about how we deal with those two guys. Um, the part of my take guys who got an ESPN two show uh, because it's, it's so, so disappointing to see reliable voices 
in relatively mainstream media um, who do champion the importance of diversity um, and do talk about how it's so bad that sports is basically a boys club and that needs to be broken down. Um, it's so disappointing to see those people prop these guys up um, with the full knowledge of who is supporting them and what they are supporting um, by accepting their money. Um, that was the most important thing about it to me. Um, I, I think it was a good piece. I don't know. I know I've written worse things. Um, it's one of the few things that I wrote that I actually like, care about, <laughs> which is unique for me because like 90% of the stuff I write is, can I swear? Is that fine? It's bullshit. Um, but this was actually serious. Um, so I suggest reading it. Uh, the coolest thing about it is that I only had like three really upset people in my mentions, which is an all-time record for anything written about Barstool that was negative. Um, and most of the negative stuff about it was true, like about how I'm a loser. So, <laughs> you know, I, they, they are evidently very perceptive as well as, you know, bad people. Yeah. Um, so please check it out. I would love to hear how people responded to it. Um, I think I muted the conversation on Twitter. So if you actually want to have a conversation with me about it, just tweet at me and don't respond to the post. Keep it separate because I don't actually see it. Um, but yeah, check it out. I thought it was cool. I hope you do too. That's my self. Yeah, it, it was definitely, it's definitely very well written. It definitely stopped to make me think about just kind of how, how we kind of put these people up on a pedestal um, because we like the things that they do. Take, not to take this away from, what you're writing, but kind of turning it into something college basketball related. We can kind of relate it to the Louisville scandal. There's, there's undoubtedly, there's undoubtedly fans out there that do not have a single care in the world about how these programs go about conducting themselves as long as they win. And obviously it's not the same as, um, you know, making misogynistic, uh, content or things of that nature. Yeah. So, so if I could jump in, I think like what actually stuck out the most about it to me, like in terms of you know carrying it over to actual sports commentary, is like how do you feel when you really don't like the coach and the um, athletic department at a school, but you like the team? You know, like if if your coach at your school is abhorrent to you. Or you feel like the athletic director doesn't care about the well-being of your student athletes, but you've grown up rooting for this team. You know, is it possible to to separate those two things? Um, because like a lot of really well-meaning people, like including yourself, like enjoy part of my take and enjoy that comedy, which I think is fine. Like it's it. Some people think it's really funny, um, which is great. But you know, can you root for that part while not rooting for the whole thing? Um, that's what I think is the straightest parallel to the sports world, um, which is certainly how I felt about Northwestern. And there's probably a reason why I feel the same way on both things, which is that you can't separate it, um, which is undoubtedly really annoying. But yeah, I think it's it's really hard to start separating those two things. Yeah, I, I think not to get all social issue centric here because that's not what people come here to listen to obviously um it's just that there there's really no separation uh between off the court and on the court 
these days. Um, you right. you can be a world class coach, but if you're an absolute dirtbag um, off the court, that should not excuse you from whatever ramifications you might might have to deal with. And I just think that's something that, um, as a college basketball fan, that's something that a lot of fans should kind of just keep in the back of their mind that if, say, their coach is paying players or if he's verbally abusive in practice or if he's uh, treating a kid disrespectfully by forcing him to quit the team for one reason or another. Just don't let don't let yeah. the on-court success cloud um, – cloud the overall persona of the person. Right. I think we agree on that, Chris. Yeah. Bad people, actually bad. Yeah, who'd have guessed? Right. Um, <laughs> there anything else you want to talk about? It? We've gone on about 45 minutes. I'm sure most people have turned off by now anyway. Yeah. No, I got nothing else. I have literally no other words to say about anything. I'm going to go sit in silence for like two days so yeah, I can recharge. Uh, to everybody listening, sorry we couldn't give you more hard-hitting analysis on actual college basketball content, but we promise, 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 promise that we will do better next time when there's actually knowledgeable people talking about it. Until then, continue to keep up with our uh, preview content going up on our on our site, obviously Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, Google+, Pinterest, LinkedIn, yada, yada, yada. Smash, <laughs> smash that subscribe button on Apple or whatever medium you use. Leave us a comment. Let us, this is like the worst. Let us know how bad we were. And we will come to you next time with a better product. Until then, for... Ben and the rest of the mid-major staff, I am Chris. Have a wonderful Friday, everyone. We will see you next time. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this... It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.